mercy creates a community. Mercy creates a community. Every, uh, every community that exists has something that binds it together. <clears throat> so I, you know, I always say, you know, you can have uh, the communion of couch potatoes, right? Where watching certain shows, right, like binds you together. And that's real, right? There's something that holds people together in that. You can be, uh, there can be a communion of runners, right? Who, you know, run at Wash Park every Saturday. Uh, you can have all kinds of things that create community. It could just be your neighborhood, where you live. What creates our community, brothers and sisters, what creates the communion of the church is the mercy of God. And tonight, we're going to look a little bit about the individual aspect of mercy and the good news that that is. But I want to also share with you tonight, I want to talk to you about what I think our church should be. And that our church should be a place of divine mercy. Blaise Pascal has a great line. He has a lot of great lines. But one of his best one-liners, Blaise Pascal says, There are two types of people. There are the sinners who think they are saints, and there are the saints who know they are sinners. I love that line. There are two types of people. There are the sinners who think that they are saints, and there are the saints who know that they are sinners. And tonight, what I want to invite you into, I want to invite you into being that saint. I want to invite you into the freedom of knowing that you are a sinner who is loved. And uh, in my community, in the Companions, we have an incredible story about how we got our house as a community. I'm not going to tell that story tonight. Um, but it was, a, it was a, an amazing, miraculous thing. So our community owns a house up on Capitol Hill. And we were always worried about, was it too nice? It's a nice house. It's an old Victorian house. And we were always a little worried about that. And one of the things we came to as a community was that one of the ideals of how we should live is that our rooms should be very, very simple. And if there are nicer areas, areas they should always be in common. So that you don't, you're not drawn to just go into your room and shut the door. But if you're going to be in a nice place, you're going to be with the brothers. You're going to be drawn into that light of community. You can imagine in a religious community, maybe this, this way in your house, maybe with your family, there's nothing worse if you walk into a house and everyone has their door closed. And no one wants to be drawn out into that communal space. Tonight in the Gospel, in John chapter 20, now we're in John 20, 19, here in the, the stories of the resurrection. John 20, 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were. Now, the, the word for shut can either just mean closed or it can mean locked. That word is used twice tonight to describe the room where the apostles are at. And John tells us that the doors are locked because the apostles are scared of the Jews. But I want to use that image tonight, and I want to talk about how the church's doors are locked sometimes. And for a different fear. 
That sometimes we lock ourselves in a room just like the apostles did tonight, but we do it for a whole different reason. And I think there's two reasons tonight why I want to talk about you and your life to start off with. In your life, there's two reasons you might have that door locked. The first one is probably the more obvious one. The first one is because you have a sin in your life, or maybe you have a bunch of sins in your life, that you have to hide from everybody. And maybe you feel like you even have to hide it from God. Good luck with that one, by the way. Doesn't work too well. But I think for most of us, we've we've been in a place in our life one time or another where we have something in our life that's broken, a sin, an insecurity, a wound. We lock the door. Right? And here at Lourdes, you guys are all religious people, not like me. And you hide it really well. And what we do is we, we wrestle with that sin inside of ourselves. And we don't share it with anybody else. And we're, you know what happens is we're isolated. And it keeps us from actually loving each other. Because if, if the person next to me knew how vain I am, if the person next to me knew that that I'm consumed by lust, if the person next to me knew that I'm actually someone who worships money, what would they think? What would they do? And so we're locked in our rooms. The good news, of course, tonight, this powerful, beautiful gospel, this is the gospel where Jesus gives authority to the apostles, the first priests of the church, to forgive people of their sins. Powerful stuff tonight. But Jesus breaks in, and this is the good news. If you're isolated, if you're locked in your room, and you think, if people, if people knew what my heart was really like, they'd never love me. They'd never understand. Jesus breaks into that room. Right? No doors can keep his resurrected presence out. And he breaks into our lives in the moments we don't even expect it. One commentator I was reading with this week, his name is Balthazar. He, uh, I thought that was kind of funny. He says this, Balthazar relates today's gospel to Psalm 107. In Psalm 107, there's people who have gone through difficult things and they're in trials and they find themselves in prisons and in chains. Psalm 107, verse 15. The psalmist cries out, he says, Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the sons of men, for he shatters the doors of bronze and he cuts into the bars of iron. He shatters the doors of bronze and he cuts into the bars of iron. 
So the first thing tonight, brothers and sisters, is that sin loves to isolate us. And I know the evil one has whispered in your ear because he's whispered in mine. And I know he's told you that you're the only one. And that your sin defines who you are. And he's held you in that prison cell. And he's kept you from others. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For he shatters the doors of bronze and he cuts in two the bars of iron. There is, if you're that person tonight, I know you know it up here, but you got to hear it and feel it in here. The good news of the gospel is not that you got your act together, that you conquered your sin and therefore God loves you. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It never was, it never will be. The good news of the gospel, right? And again, N.T. Wright, remember N.T. Wright says the gospel does not mean good advice. It means good news. The good news of the gospel is that the love and the mercy of God cuts through chains. And in your isolation and in your shame and in your aloneness and your brokenness, the love of God can break through those doors. And that is such good news. St. Thomas Aquinas says, one drop of Christ's blood, one drop of his blood is enough to forgive all the sins of all humanity of all time. One drop. One drop, Hitler's sins are forgiven. One drop. All the awful things we can think of in history, and brothers and sisters, Aquinas again says, and when he talks about the cross and the mercy of God on the cross, one of the things he says is that Jesus didn't have to die on a cross, but it was fitting. And one of the reasons he went to such an extreme, when all he had to do was pour out one drop, when he went to such an extreme so that you would never doubt how much you are loved. That's something that all of us, I know we got to spend more time with. We have to open our hearts to. I know I have to spend more time praying with that. So that's the first thing tonight. And I want to give you that good news. If you don't know that good news, tonight get on your prayer, on your knees after Mass and pray to God and say, Jesus, I know you love me. I don't want to receive it. I know you love other people, and it's hard for me to believe you love me. But Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to know tonight to the depths of my soul that your mercy could be even for me. And Jesus, because I'm a priest, I, I feel like my sins are so much worse. Lord, tonight I, I know your mercy can be even for me. What good news. The second thing tonight, though, I want to talk about our community. The Christian community is bound together by the mercy of Jesus Christ. What made our communion with each other's brothers and sisters was the love of God on the cross. 
That's what created our church. Some people like each other because they have perfect, you know, washboard abs and they can run fast. We love each other because we were sinners that were loved. And that's what binds you and I together. That's why you guys are my brothers and sisters. It's because you know that you're sinners who have been redeemed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you don't know about him, you can't be a Catholic. Just kidding, he wasn't Catholic. Bonhoeffer was a, a Lutheran pastor. His story's amazing, but we're not going to get into that tonight. Bonhoeffer tonight, and this is the second part. Maybe some of you don't really know that you're sinners. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, and I was this way a long time in my life. I was like, I'm, I'm a pretty decent guy. I want to come after you a little bit tonight. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer wants to come after you. Bonhoeffer says this, he says, It is the grace of the gospel which is so hard for pious people to understand that it confronts us with the truth and says to us, You are a sinner. A great, desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner that you are to God who loves you, he wants you as you are. This message is liberation through truth. You can hide nothing from God. The mask you wear before men will do you no good before him. Right? The mask you wear before men will do you no good before God. He knows the worst thought you've ever had. He knows the worst thing you've ever done. He knows how cold your heart has been at times and refused to love. He wants to see you as you are. He wants to be gracious to you. And, I love, and this is what I want to get to right here. Listen to this line. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and your brothers as if you were without sin. You can dare to be a sinner. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and your brothers as if you were without sin. You can dare to be a sinner. Brothers and sisters, what binds us together is that I don't deserve the love of God. I do not have my act together as a priest. I don't. And people always think, well, that's Father Brian. He probably said a swear word once. I say him a lot. I am a sinner who does not deserve the mercy of God. And that's what binds us together. And when you and I hide that truth from each other, what happens is the world outside doesn't believe the good news of redemption. Because you and I pretend to be perfect. Brothers and sisters, I worship money. I wish I didn't, but I do. Some of you who are close with me, you know Father Brian likes nice things. I am a vain person. And if I give a bad homily at Mass, I agonize it because I have a huge ego. It's not good. 
When other people are praised, I count other people's good as my loss, which is the sin of envy. I'm filled with judgment. I'm harsh towards other clergy members. I'm filled with lust and pride. And he loves me anyways. And I'm not worthy of it. And I thought by now, I've been trying to live a good Catholic life for 20 years, and I thought by now I would be perfectly pure. I thought I would be perfectly good at forgiving people. I thought I would not love money anymore, and I haven't gotten there. And I think there's mercy for me too. Bonhoeffer, earlier in his book, he says that God is a God of truth and only the fellowship which faces disillusionment. Right? Only when you and I get messy with each other, when we stop pretending that we're perfect, when we admit that we are sinners and what created our communion was the mercy of God beyond all understanding, only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight. It begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. Everybody, I know what everybody wants. It's the same thing I want. I want to be close to people. I want to have deep, abiding friendships here at Lourdes at St. Louis. I want to have people in my life who know me and love me. And brothers and sisters, be in a church of mercy. It means that you and I are no longer locked in those rooms with our sins. I guarantee you there's someone here tonight who hasn't been in church in a long time. And they look around and they see you and they say they know all the prayers. They kneel perfectly straight, right? Their hands are at a 45 degree angle, <laughs> right? And you know what they think? I'm not like them. Because I had an abortion. because I hated my mother and my father, or because I've lived a worldly life, whatever it might be, brothers and sisters, when you and I, when Christ breaks into that room of yours, that heart of yours, that has hidden its sin from yourself, from God, and from others, when Christ breaks into that room, the door is open. And I have great confidence, and most of the time, sometimes I don't, Jesus, but at least in my head, I know that you're always merciful. I know you even forgive the sins of priests. I don't, I don't always understand that. But I know you do. But Jesus, I'm scared for people to see my sin. But I know when you break into 
our lives. It's your always merciful. The question for us, brothers and sisters, is will we let that mercy of God live in us? And will our church be a place where men and women can dare to be sinners? Where we can be who we really are. We can let down our masks. We can stop pretending we've got it all together. And we can rejoice because all of us, every one of us, right, is a sinner who has been loved and redeemed. I want to leave you with this, my favorite image of this. I don't know how bad your sin is. Maybe you think it's worse than other people's. Great consolation, I think, of Moses, the greatest hero of the Old Testament outside of God himself. Moses was a murderer. Do you know this? When Moses is still in Egypt before he leaves, he sees two, two people fighting. And he kills an Egyptian, buries him in the sand. Later on, David. David is considered a man after God's own heart, right? The greatest king of the Old Testament. David commits adultery and then kills Bathsheba's husband. And you know what David was? He was a horrible sinner who was loved, who confessed his sins, right, and was made a great saint. So, Lord, tonight, Jesus, may your mercy break into our closed doors, behind our closed doors. Lord, may your love break into our chains. May it bring us to the light that we may no longer be isolated. And Jesus, may our church truly be a church where men and women can dare to be sinners.